Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. New VanCast to get you out of a long weekend and back into... Uh, real life transfer. It's uh, the start of phase two. I see that like people are actually going back to work. So hopefully uh, we can keep them company on their commute here with a brand new VanCast to start the week. Yeah, and if you weren't buoyed by the good weather over the weekend, or I mean, aside from Saturday's rain, I suppose the you know news out of California about human trials and you know studies now revealing that in fact you can't get reinfected by this thing. Um, seems to be seems to be like this was a this was a good weekend mentally this was a weekend that felt like progress for me anyway especially you know watching german soccer on my television <laughs> right now I, i'm not going to turn this into a german soccer podcast because lord knows there's probably enough of those if, if that's what people want but uh let's take what we saw in the bundesliga and the return to professional sports and televised sports uh, and what did you make of it? Uh, what were your general takeaways from sports being played in empty stadiums? Honestly, more than anything, my biggest takeaway was there was a lot of work that went into just <laughs> having these sort of games be played again. And, you know, I know there was some theater, uh, the players on the bench socially distanced from one another, wearing masks, uh, you know, theater of a sort that the NHL will not be able to mimic. But there was also just so many weird incidents. Like, you've got a whole team in Dresden, which is Bundesliga 2, that's essentially quarantined because of an outbreak on the team. And and they're sort of been, they've been removed from the competition effectively. Um, You've got, you know, you had 10 positive tests, almost all of them asymptomatic, uh, when the Bundesliga went about testing everybody before resumption. Then you have, you know, a, a head coach, the, a manager, the equivalent of a head coach who can't even sort of manage his own team's game because he went out to buy toothpaste. And 
you know, it, it all sort of got me thinking that one of the things you have to be prepared for, you know, set up structurally is non-compliance, right? Like we're talking about a group of athletes who are trained, take pride in playing through anything. And with this specific challenge, you know, you're not going to be able to play with the sniffles. You're not going to be able to play with a, you know, 37.5 temperature. And that's going to be a radical readjustment for players. Like in terms of the psychology of, I can't play through this. I need to be cautious and careful. I think that's a, that's a fundamental paradigm shift that, you know, the league's probably going to need to find a way to enforce, you know, without relying on team medical personnel. So, you know, as, as much as I was excited to see the Bundesliga back, I was struck by a, you know, how difficult it was to get there and B some of the unique challenges that, that hockey will face even above and beyond that. Um, You know, all of which goes to say that, you know, you throw into it that, Germany has fared relatively well. The vast majority of markets that host NHL teams are are in very different situations from the one in Germany and from the one that we're lucky enough to be in currently, JPAT in British Columbia. You know, it's, it's fascinating to me because I'm not a huge soccer guy, but just the idea of pro sport and televised <laughs> sport yeah. uh, had me both Saturday and Sunday, and certainly Sunday with Alfonso Davies and Bayern Munich. Yep. You know, there was an investment there. And as I watched, I, I kept thinking in my mind, like, what have we been force-fed here during this stoppage of life? It's been old games, old hockey games, but the common theme has been hockey at its highest level, right? Like mm-hmm. all of these replays, Stanley Cup finals, the Canucks run in 2011, uh, the Canada Cup, the World Cup, whatever. And there's such an emotional buy-in from the fans. The fans play such a crucial role to the theater and the drama and the atmosphere. And so while it looked like soccer, like it, it was impossible. Like I just couldn't sort of register in my brain this idea that there's nobody in the seats and this is what hockey's going to look like when it gets back there. Because I think what we all admire about professional athletes is the skill level, the ability, the work that they've put in to get to the highest level. But also above all of that, you know, for the truly greats, it's, this ability to perform on the biggest stage, you know, the adversity that comes their way, they're able to overcome that if they're on the road, you know, they're public enemy number one, you know, we've just kind of come through the last dance and watched that with Michael Jordan. And one of the things that certainly elevated him was, you know, he was great at home, but he was equally great on the road in hostile environments and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, that was missing. And so even though I knew it was a game and I was watching it and the games meant something to these players, it just felt an awful lot like practice because you and I do this on a daily basis on the beat. You know, we watch these guys practice in empty rinks. And I guess that's kind of where we are is we're going to have to get used to this idea of hockey in a completely sterile environment. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, it is going to be weird when, when, when we do finally see it, like it's going to feel haunted and ghoulish. I, I think there's yeah. no question about it. I like the Dortmund players going over to that old yellow wall, which is the big sort of <laughs> very vertically built stand at the Signal uh, Aduna, you know, stadium and applauding with it. They do it after the game when there's fans there. I liked them doing that anyway. Uh, <laughs> that was good fun. And uh, you look, at the end of the day, you're right. I think without the fans, without, you know, 
the the howls and the wails of disappointment like it's going to feel fundamentally different as a product and inferior but it's also going to be hockey and you know as much as i think there are there's a lot that, that needs to be worked through here like i remain skeptical i think well above and beyond that of many of my peers not just of not just of the league's ability to get restarted, but then to be able to finish it off, um, you know, depending on what markets they go to. I, I think this could be really tricky just because of how germy hockey is <laughs> across the board, J-Pat. Uh, so, uh, but all that said, I mean, I would love to have it back. Like, I would love to be watching a hockey game and, and Jordan, watching Jordan, watching Alfonso Davies, watching some soccer over the weekend, I mean, really, really did serve to reinforce that for me. You know, and look, in soccer, you know, you get a goal and maybe you get two in a high-scoring game. You'll see three. Yeah. You know, obviously, scoring plays are more frequent in hockey. Like, I, I really am fascinated uh, because these guys are all creatures of habit. And the idea of, you know, the huddle and all coming together after a goal, like, we saw it in soccer. And, and like, there were a couple of funny moments. The, you know, guys were applauding from distance. You know, the goal scorer yeah. was just kind of soaking it all in himself. But... Like I, I really am curious to see the first couple of goals that are scored in a return to play for hockey. Like, what'll it look like? Right. Or the first. What happens when the first guy runs a goalie? Right. Yep. You know, like yep. the first. The first. You know, Brad Marchand in the third Bruins game runs a goalie, and everyone has to be socially distant from him. Like, good luck. Good luck. You know, and that's and that's really what I'm talking about too with. It's just such a it's such a dog pile of a sport, right? Uh, that that I do think it's gonna, it's going to be uniquely difficult. Well, and that was one of the things that was floated last week. Like no fighting. Okay, that's fine. If they come back at or near the playoffs, there isn't much fighting anyhow. Like I think they can get by with that kind of rule in place. But then somebody was like, no scrums. And to your point, like absolutely you know some guy's gonna jab a goaltender and then what like like in some ways i mean that opens it up to the rats of the world to run wild again a hundred percent and and you're gonna see it like you're for sure gonna see that that's for sure gonna happen and so yeah you know look we'll we'll see and then and then there's the various formats sort of floating about right and one thing that seems interesting is the draft appears to have lost momentum. The idea of an early June yes. draft, um, you know, talking to people around the industry, people no longer expect it, which for me anyway, j I think it's a tremendous missed opportunity for the NHL. There's no way it's ever going to be or it was ever going to be as big a deal as the NFL draft because obviously those NFL sort of uh, draft-eligible prospects are household names in a country where, you know, college football is probably the second most-watched sport. So... But the, but nonetheless, I mean, there's nothing going on. Like it would have been something in this absolute desert. Like it still would have been a, a small oasis, a small puddle of water in, in a desert of content for both the league and and fans and and broadcast partners and on and on. So anyway, getting away from that, the fact that that's you know probably a mistake, and in, in my view anyway, despite the you know, consensus opinion that hockey people around the NHL seem to share, which they didn't like it. Uh, the Forgetting that, though, the playoff format sort of discussion as it becomes begins to be clarified, right? Whether it's a 
round robin, whether it's a, you know, weighted round robin, 24 teams, 20 teams, all sorts of different scenarios. But it's going to be interesting because all of a sudden, if you get a situation where the Canucks have to play their way in to get to a 16-team playoff format, how does that impact that JT Miller sort of pick, the conditions on the JT Miller pick, which as of last week anyway, I felt like had been sort of settled and done with. Like the Canucks were surrendering their first, the JT Miller trade. It's kind of over. It looks like a win for the Canucks. You know, dust off your hands, the lock in the price, this is done. It kind of looks like maybe we're trending back toward this situation where the Canucks are going to be, you know, who knows, playing a three-game elimination series against Minnesota. <laughs> with that sort of deciding not just their playoff fate, but potentially the fate of the their first-round pick in 2020. Which, you know, if they draw Minnesota, then it would allow us to actually see a playoff series against the Wild rather than just reading about the one that you and Russo <laughs> laid right. out all those right. months ago. Uh, you know, like this has been kind of crossing my mind because there's no doubt, like, there is momentum here to get hockey back now. I think uh, that was pretty evident. Uh, the return to play committee, the two sides, we heard the commissioner again, uh, even last week saying, you know, uh, scrapping the season hasn't even been contemplated. And so when I look at, you know, whether it's 20 teams or 24, if the Canucks are involved in any kind of play in, you know, to me, like if their season and their playoff hopes, you know, they had 13 games remaining in the regular season when the season was halted if they come back and they have three games as a play-in to make the playoffs, like the pressure on a guy like Jacob Markstrom, who hasn't played a game since February 22nd, like everybody says, oh, this is great. Markstrom's going to be healthy. And he will be. But he also hasn't played a game to answer since February 22nd. You know, how quickly can he regain the form that he had in mid-season? That seems like an awfully big ask. Now, I'm not betting against him because he's been playing at this remarkably high level for, you know, two seasons now. But rather than having an opportunity to kind of wade himself back in and ramp himself up, like, they're going to need elite-level goaltending from Jacob Markstrom from the drop of the puck. And I just think that's an awful lot to ask for a guy that hasn't seen National Hockey League live ammunition since late February. Oh, no question about it. And, you know, I mean, the goalies across, like, I'd expect the goaltending quality across the league to be pretty low in the first little bit, right? Just because, you know, that's such a, the way that those guys work in the summer months, you know, like, those guys are on the ice by late July, at least in terms of being on the ice doing additional goalie work. Like, some of them start in May. You know, in a, in a year they missed the playoffs, beginning to sort of drill down and work and on and on. And look, they, I mean, it's an everyday thing. There's all sorts of stress on hips and groins and on and on, right? Like, it's why goaltenders, as they age, you know, really deal with a ton of pain and a ton of sort of, uh, you know, just very difficult maladies that are the results of wear and tear from a position that's essentially doing a martial art in the middle of a team sport look it's crazy you're right markstrom markstrom's going to be in tough all nhl goalies are going to be in tough and one thing that's going to be curious to monitor too is you know there are teams that are going to come out of this better prepared to punch above their weight than they might have otherwise and you know i think about 
like I've I've been thinking about this a little bit in terms of Toronto, right? You look at Toronto and where they were prior to the pandemic, right? They were facing a Blackhawks or sorry, a Blackhawks, a Boston Bruins or a Tampa Bay Lightning team that one of those two teams were waiting for them in the playoffs. And those two teams were rolling, like absolutely rolling. You know, they had no Jake Muzzin who was hurt. Tavares and and Freddie Anderson were overworked. And then you add in sort of the age of their best players, right? All of whom are 22 and younger. And you wonder, like, could this team be a team that ends up in a better position on the other side than they were going into it? I mean, I, th- I think yes. I think Colorado, you look, remember all Colorado's injuries when last we saw them at yeah, Rogers absolutely. Arena? I mean, they were complete, they were, they were down like 10 men. It was crazy. Yep. And, and those 10 men were, you know, their best players. Uh, even McKinnon was dealing with injuries. Rantanen, Kadri, uh, Kel McCarr had dealt with a shoulder thing for a couple of months. So, you know, isn't that a team that maybe comes out of this fresh, young, maybe poised to, you know, better poised now than they were prior to it. Like, I do think if we get NHL hockey back and if NHL hockey is able to stay back long enough for a cup to be awarded, I do think we're going to see a weird team win. And I do sort of wonder if we could see a team, even like the Canucks, you know, with a lot of young players, with a lot of injured players who are going to be healthy by the time the season restarts. Um, I do wonder if the Canucks are a team, you know, a Swedish goaltender, right? Who's been able to skate a little bit earlier than his peers. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff working in Vancouver's favor. And I just, I'm, I'm curious. I'm sort of side-eyeing them too. Uh, just dropping a retro side-eye here, Jay Pat. I'm (laughs) side-eyeing them. I'm side-eyeing them too as a team that, you know, could maybe be among those that is well positioned uh, upon the resumption of play. Yeah, I think Columbus is another team. Remember, oh, like, I mean, saw Columbus twice there late. Like, it'll be fascinating to see what Columbus's opening night, relaunch opening night lineup would look like compared to the last team that they were able to put on the ice. Because they too, they, they, they ten other guys at one point uh, were out of yeah. the lineup. So there's another team absolutely that was hammered by injuries. You know, another storyline that I'm sort of following from afar here, uh, and I'm really curious. And nobody's got the answers. I get that, but. You know, as much as we talk about everybody would be healthy and the Canucks would have their full complement of players, remember, Bo Horvat's wife is pregnant mm-hmm. in July. And, Ugh. you know, in normal circumstances, a player would fly home if they're on the road, be there for the birth of the child a day or two. And, and you know, it's just kind of hockey culture, you know, right back in. But this is their first child, and these are not normal times. And, you know, we're, we're, there's so much being made about the bubble, the bubble. And once people are in the bubble, you know, can they get out? And if they're out, can they get back in? And so if Bo Horvat had to leave in July, and he's already told us on that Zoom call that he did with the league that they had gone back to Ontario because that's where they're going to have the baby. So, you know, just sort of file that one away as we move closer to July and a return to play. I just don't know sort of how available Bo Horvat's going to be. And Antoine Roussel's wife is pregnant as well. There could be others on this team. I don't know. I don't have a wall chart of Canuck pregnancies, but I do know uh, Horvat's July for sure because he told us that. And, like, think of being a hockey player. You know, you learn that your wife's expecting you're going to have your first child. Like, probably a massive fist pump. And then in the hockey player's mind, it's going to be in July, and that's like the double fist pump, right? Like, the timing couldn't have been better in the moment. 
And then all of a sudden, you know, the world shuts down. And now this, uh, I'm really kind of curious. Like, I hope for his sake and I hope for the team's sake that everything goes smoothly and that this isn't an issue. But, you know, I just got to throw that out there because these aren't normal times. And something like a pregnancy, you know, could result in a player's absence for a lot longer than would usually be the case. Yeah, look, I can't imagine the added anxiety that that would right. cause. But I did, I did note Horvat sort of saying that in that, um, you know, Horvat at home interview with Dan Murphy, right. and I just, I, I mean, immediately I just felt for the guy. Like I was just like, man, you know, you think about a guy too, who, you know, really tries to do the right thing. Like I'm sure that that's tearing him up, and and understandably, like that is not a situation I envied. Like I immediately was just like, oh man, that must be so difficult mentally to just work through right now. And hopefully everything works out for for him and his family first of all, because that's that's what's more important. But yikes, just a just a not an enviable situation for for Horvat. And you know what, J Pat, that pivots well because. I was watching a lot of Seinfeld this weekend. I don't know why. I just like I put it on Crave TV and I felt like it made me smarter. Like I immediately was like Seinfeld is good. Like it's food for the brain, man. It it really helps you sort of think about things in a very basic kind of way. And one thing it made me think about was, you know, all they do on this show is complain and I love it. Like it's my favorite thing. And and I notice in my day to day, J-Pat, like I'm I don't I don't know if everyone's like this, but. Right now, anyway, and this is not usually my MO, I'm filled with boundless patience for people. Like, patience for, so long as you're being intellectually honest, I've got patience for you. If you're a leader, so long as you're not yelling at someone to take their mask off or or being an absolute twat, I've got patience for you in public. I've got patience for lines. I've got patience for all this stuff and... I'm never complaining. Like, I know how lucky I am to still be covering a sport that doesn't exist, you know, in a <laughs> in a locality that's managed to flatten the curve, um, you know, and, and that where I get to see mountains every day from my patio, right? Like, I haven't been complaining, and I miss it almost as much as I miss the hockey, J-Pat. Like, I miss being at the rink, complaining about things that don't actually matter, and as I thought about this, and then I saw your tweet about how the Stanley Cup should always be awarded in May and no uh-huh. later than May, yes. I thought I thought this would be, you know, fertile fodder for us. I want I want you to name me three things you miss complaining about at the rink day to day. Uh well, first of all, yeah, there was the series of tweets over the weekend, and it was like, you know, the Islanders swept the Canucks, the Islanders swept the Oilers, the Islanders, you know, everything was about the cup being presented in mid-May. Now, yeah. uh, a couple of things. One is the first round back then was best of five, so it was shortened up. And also the Islanders swept everybody and put an end to the Stanley Cup final. So you know, the final could have gone on for another week, but the Islanders uh, were such a machine that uh, they just took care of business and, and hockey ended in May. But still, I like the idea of, of hockey ending in May. You know, as you, you make a good point, though. Like, I, I do find myself a little more chill these days, a little more relaxed and, uh, you know, two months at home with the family. I thought maybe uh, I would grate on them or they would grate on me, but we've been getting along reasonably well here and things have been flowing fairly smoothly. But I'll, tra- I'll, I'll play your game here. I'll transport back <laughs> in time to when we were at the rink. And look, these are first world problems. I just want to establish oh, yeah. that. Oh, I yeah. get that. Like I, I fully understand that. But in the same, at the same time, like we like to pull the curtain back a little bit on on our jobs here and take people, 
you know, that was one of the great things about the Botchford Project was, you know, we were able to show these young aspiring writers the ropes and behind the scenes stuff. And one of the ones that it, it drives me nuts, I've accepted it. I'm sorry, I'm at peace with it, but it's still, I mean, it, that, that probably isn't true. If I'm at peace with it, it wouldn't eat at me still all these years <laughs> later. But when Travis, when Travis Green took over as head coach, he put up those walls. Oh, right. <laughs> now define the Canucks locker room area. But it also, you know, just absolutely curb stomped the, the logistical flow of traffic at Rogers Arena. And look, I, it's not the long walk that I'm opposed to. It's just sort of this inconvenience on a daily basis of trying to get from the media room, which is located by the visitor's locker room. And we used to cut through the visitor's tunnel to the rink, but that's no more. So now it's mm-hmm. always this, you know, three quarters of the rink under the stands just to get a glimpse of the ice. And if you know, you're know you in the media room and you're working and you want to pop out and see a morning skate or practice, it's hard. Like, it is. It's, it's, it's a pain in the ass. And I'll never forget Alan Vigneault coming back uh, with the Rangers, I guess it was. Right. The first time that he saw uh, those gates had been erected and he came out to do his media and he came out into the main hallway and he looked and he just kind of shook his head and he threw his thumb at the gates and he went... Really? Are those necessary? And I thought, like, that's perfect. Like, there's a guy that lived and worked in that same office as Travis. Didn't feel the need to erect these massive barriers because I, I guess the reason was that, you know, they thought they felt that, you know, we in the media, the prying eyes, we were seeing too much in guys crossing the hallway from the locker room to the gym. And we used to always see Chris Tanev in a walking boot. That was sort of the running gag was... You know, that's when we knew that Tanev was going to be out for a while because we would get a glimpse of Chris Tanev scooting across the hall in a walking boot. So uh, that one still bothers me. I, I, but look, I mean, that's a fight, a fight I'm not going to win as long as Travis Green's here. Uh, those walls, that gate, uh, they're always going to stay. So that's one. Uh, another quick one is post game. They've got what's supposed to be a dedicated elevator for the media, guys on deadline to get down to ice level, to get to the locker room. And it's just become a free-for-all with ticket holders and suite holders in the 500 level. And, it, you know, now it's, and who knows what, you know, a, a crush for an elevator is going to look like when we come out of all this. Oh, Things wow. are going to change. But, Good but that was always one that, you know, it, it, it's supposed to be a dedicated media elevator. It was anything but, and it was a complete free-for-all. And I always thought that could have been an easy swat or an easy solution, easy, easy change. The last one for me... And you know it because we've discussed it, and people who have listened to podcasts in the past know my affinity for anything chocolate chip, but what's happened to the chocolate chip cookies in the press box? Oh, I know. Come on. They, that, that, now when they come, they only come if they're last out. You know, like you get it after the anthem, but before the food goes away. You have to like really be on it these days. Yeah, you got to strategize to get your chocolate chip. Yeah, and that's another thing we're not, like, the the shared plate of food is, like, another thing that's not coming back, right? Have you seen those, grabby, like, those grabby tests? hands. Yeah, yeah, like, that. that is, it's going to be individually wrapped everything, um, I'm pretty sure, when we get back. No, you're right. The chocolate chip cookies, man, that's a good, that's, I, I, I knew I could count on you, J-Pat. That's a good pick. <laughs> with, uh, with the... Walls, the barbarians at the gate thing. Uh, one thing that I am sensitive to, I suppose, in terms of Travis's approaches 
it is one of the few NHL locker rooms where a hallway, a publicly viewed hallway cuts off the coach's office and the gym from the stall, dry stall and players lounge. Like I haven't really seen that too commonly um, in, in other NHL buildings. So, so I do understand the idea that it's like, this is our space and, and on and on. And also, you know, trendsetters for, for physical distancing. And in terms of the elevator, I love that. So the, the, the other side of it is there's also no one there for when it goes back up. So after like, there's been a media scrum or like you've done all the media, you've done the coach and you come back to get up and go up the elevator. Like I have this vivid memory of, you know, there's this, um, I'm there with Kuz at the end of a game and when we've got to go back up and Kuz is on deadline, right? So Kuz really needs to get up. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, this very nice, uh, lady gets on the elevator and she's like, do you guys mind if I take it to three? And Kuz is just like, no, on deadline. And she like, <laughs> eyes widen. <laughs> and I'm just like, Kuz. <laughs> and we just had a laugh. And, but I also do note, I, I do note that of the, of the media members who are most likely to be like, sorry guys, this is a media only elevator. Really it is me and Kuz, right? Like me and Kuz will tell fans to, to, to wait. <laughs> I feel like no one else really does. Yeah, well, I know Kuz certainly. I've heard the <laughs> deadline. I've heard that uh, many times over <laughs> the years. It, it seems like it should be a simple solution, and there have been times where it's been brought up and they've tried to, you know, enforce it, and then for whatever reason it goes away. And look, as I said, these are petty. These are oh, sort of super petty problems, but <laughs> <laughs> these are things that keep me up at night even during a pandemic <laughs> yes me too all right should we move on to name that canuck well you don't have any you don't want to air your grievances this isn't oh. sort of the podcast festivus sorry we can go yeah here here's my three ready um okay yes real Hit quick me. my three favorite things to complain about by far media meals in general right is the quality too good is it not good enough right like what did I like about it? What did I skip? What was your approach to it? Dissecting media meals at length, rewarding those that are good, like the one at Detroit, the six-year-old birthday party media meal, and slamming the ones that are bad. Ottawa! Um, that's my absolute favorite rink pastime. I love it. Like, absolutely love it. My absolute favorite thing to do. That's number one. That's my favorite life-on-the-road complaint. Or, 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 and also just life-at-the-rink complaint. Number two, my second favorite thing to complain about would have to be the, again, it's all food for me, man. It's the press box candy <laughs> and or offerings, right? Like you get to the rink in Anaheim and it's like, oh, I love it. I can have the RC Cola. Like, great. Um, I like to give them daps. But then the buildings where it's, you know, stale popcorn and on and on, right? Just being like, can you yes. not put out some candy? Like, can you not put out something? And then the, the discrepancy is widening in this regard, right? Like, you've always had Montreal, which crushes it with the chocolate chip cookies. They always have chocolate chip cookies, by the way. Um, but also with the, you know, hot dogs and on and on, you can get them at intermission. But it's like Detroit now, Boston. Like, some of those rinks are getting too good. Like, to the point where it's dangerous. And then the ones that don't have enough are sort of accentuated. You know, the ones that just don't have much of anything. 
um, it sort of drives up the stakes on that one. So that's that's my other one. Um, I got to come up with a food, a non-food one for my top three to round up my top three. I'm going to go with my, you know, one of my absolute favorite things to complain about on a day-to-day basis is rules about talking to goaltenders, like media rules uh, about talking to yeah. goaltenders. Like, can you get the backup on a morning skate day? Can you get the starter on a optional practice day? Like, how do you navigate that? Complaining about it, talking about why you came to the rink when you can't get a guy. Um, it's one of those things that doesn't, in my view anyway, like talking to a goalie after morning skate is always challenging just because if they're the starter, they're off immediately, right? Like they're out of the room before you're in it. And if they're the backup, they're out on the ice for an additional hour at least. So that's sort of, it just doesn't make sense logistically to talk to a goaltender on a game day, but it's something that I love to bitch about and dissect. All right, fair enough. I, yeah. I, you're right. Like there should be there should be some uniformity there. And if people wonder why you don't hear from goalies that often, it, you're right because it's just an accessibility thing. That whether it's timing, whether it's as you said, uh, we're in the room and they're still on the ice. Uh, it never does just seem to work as sort of fluidly as smoothly as uh, you think it might and it should. So yeah. all right, that's good. I feel better about uh, you know getting that off my chest a little bit. So. Uh, some food for thought, if you will. Uh, let's finish up with Name That Canuck. Uh, it's uh, back to you. You're, it's your serve here, so uh, i got to get my thinking cap on, and uh, we'll see if I can get this before uh, you give it away with the final clue. All right. I have a difficult one for you. Like, I think this one oh. is tricky. Um, okay. So, so buckle up, and, and I'm sure you'll get it in three points. Uh, but this is my this is my response to you nailing the Jeff Cowan one, and as a tribute, in fact, to your so as a tribute to your tremendous guest, the last time I hosted this great game show, I have picked a very difficult one, and my first clue begins with a scoring streak. All right, you ready? There are twelve yes. players in the history of the NHL who have had a six-game goal scoring streak. Of the perfect 6-0-0 goal scoring only variety. So, six games, six goals, no other points. 12 times in NHL history. Several former Canucks are on this list, including Sergei Nemchinov, the immortal Sergei Nemchinov. However, only one player has ever done it while as a member of the Vancouver Canucks. This is that player. Uh, I'm going to say Peter Nedved. It is not Peter Nedved. Okay. All right. He had a long streak. Yeah, I know he had a long point streak at some right. juncture. Okay. Fair. So this former Canucks player, Canucks connections abound. Okay, played 88 games for the for the franchise, but he has a nephew who is currently a prospect in the organization, Jonah Gadjevich. Huh. Was not aware of the familial connection. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Oh, um, Jim Sandlack. It is not Jim Sandlack. All right. This player came to the Canucks during the 1980-81 season. The year prior to that, the 79-80 season was the Edmonton Oilers' inaugural season in the NHL. He played for that team, played on a line with Wayne Gretzky, 
He had 46 goals, 94 points. And after leaving Gretzky's line, played 88 games the rest of his career, all unremarkable for the Vancouver Canucks. Name that Canuck. B.J. McDonald. B.J. McDonald. There you go. All right. There. See, I learned. That's my thing. If I learn nothing else today, I learned that uh, Jonah Gadget is his nephew. I didn't know that. Yeah. No, I didn't either until I started looking into it. But B.J. McDonald, I, I had to pick a hard one for you. Um, I'm glad. Uh, I, I, I thought that was a good one. I'm, I'm patting myself on the back mostly because I finally got you to just get a one-pointer. Yes. All right. I feel such shame. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> no, that was a good clue. I like that. Uh, all right. Well, I will start uh, assembling mine for the next time we convene here. Hey, before we run, uh, I should let people know that Cam Fowler of the Anaheim Ducks is on point breakaway this week at the Athletic with Shane O'Brien and Josh Cooper, if you're looking for more hockey content, want to hear from a, a current National Hockey leader, Cam Fowler, on that podcast. And you can check out uh, our comments section for each podcast episode here at The Athletic. Don't forget to rate and subscribe The VanCast on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash thevancast, you'll get 40% off your subscription. All right, Drancer, good stuff. Uh, we will get back at it, uh, maybe a mailbag. Uh, yeah, let's do a mailbag around. this week for sure. It's time to hear from the fans, man. All right. Well, uh, if you're listening to this, get your questions in. We'll certainly uh, appeal for questions and submissions online as well. But uh, for now, that's going to do it. For Drancer, it's J-Pat. As always, thanks so much for listening to the Vancast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com. Yeah.